Warning, the following podcast contains adult content, like fart jokes. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by the new RIFRA-compliant bathroom solution for trans people traveling through the Bible Belt. transport potty Just hook up our patented system of tubes to your alimentary canal, and you'll be shitting and pissing in a bag before you know it. You won't even want to pull over and sexually assault anyone in a public bathroom. transport potty Shit the road in your piddle deuce coop. And now, the scathing atheist. Hi, I'm Billy Baker Waggett the Third at BB Waggett Three on Twitter, hashtag Church of the Unseen Hand, and I am a puppet, and I did in fact evolve from a filthy sock puppet. You humans, however, did in fact evolve from filthy monkey men. <laughs> Thursday. It's May 5th. And Carly Fiorina has found something she's better at killing than her daughter. <laughs> I'm no illusions. <laughs> I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Jesus Christ Super 8, Valdosta, Georgia, this is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, we fight bigotry with the power of song. Lucifer gets called the C-word. And we learn that those first eight sorrows weren't the bad ones. But first, the diatribe. guy comes to you with a claim. He says, I was reading this book the other day, and the dude in the book said X. And you think to yourself, wait a second. X seems to go against everything that I've always understood to be true. So you look into it, you come back to the guy later, you say, hey man, I checked, and as near as I can tell, your book was wrong, and the truth is actually why. Now, uh, of course, he doesn't believe you. He says, well, the guy that wrote this book is a PhD, and you're just some person. Of course, you have to admit that you are indeed just some person, but you also point out that the vast majority of the people with PhDs in relevant fields disagree with X. Almost all of them seem to think Y, as a matter of fact. What's more, all the ones that are respected in the field and hold teaching positions at major universities and stuff, they all say Y. Now, as I'm sure you know, this is where you get the conspiracy theory, right? This is where the guy explains that there's a centuries-long effort to discredit anybody who ever says X, so most of the academics in the field are too worried about their reputation to dispute Y. Plus, there's been an effort to suppress the data that would definitively prove X for a long time. Now, let's solve for X. I can plug a lot of things in there that would leave pretty much everybody in the audience nodding along, right? I mean, if X is creationism and Y is evolution or, or if Y is climate change and X is denialism or if X is any kind of alternative medical treatment or radical reinterpretation of basic physics, virtually everybody listening would nod along and say, yeah, I've been there one too many times. Motivated fucking reasoning. But in this instance, a lot of our listeners are going to hiss and boo because in this instance, X is mythicism. So now that I've pissed off a significant percentage of our listenership, but before I offer any justification, let me back up a bit and make sure we're all on the same page, right? So mythicism is the assertion that Jesus never lived. Mythicists would tell you that there was never a guy named Yeshua that was crucified by Pontius Pilate, that there were never any disciples, all of it was a myth that over time got treated like a historical event. Euhemerization, I believe, is the term. And as I'm sure is obvious from the introduction, I personally am not a mythicist. I'll freely admit that I'm no expert in the subject after reading a book on either side of the argument, but until recently, I've been awfully sympathetic to the claim, and I've been guilty of treating it with a bit more legitimacy than I feel like it merits. 
I, I mean, I want him to be right. And nothing could take the wind out of Christianity's sails like proving that the whole thing was based on a bedtime story that somebody mistook for the truth. Not to mention it'd be fucking hilarious. But as near as I can determine, the evidence just isn't on the mythicist's side. And again, I'm no expert here. I'm sure a lot of people listening have looked way deeper into this issue than I have. And many of them, after that deep dive into the evidence, are convinced by the mythicist argument. And I'm not, you know, going to fault them for that because they might be right, you know. But I've, I've got a heuristic that I use in situations like this. When there's disagreement among qualified experts, I generally defer to the consensus view, especially if it's an overwhelming consensus. And now look, I'll admit, that's a heuristic. That makes it imperfect. It's going to fail me from time to time, but most of the time it's going to land me on the right answer. See, to be perfectly honest, until I started looking into this issue, I had no idea how historians went about determining if a person really existed or not. Almost everything I know about the subject is something that I learned while examining this question. And as convincing as many of the mythicists' arguments seem to me as a layperson, I have to temper that with the fact that they haven't convinced many of the qualified experts. Right. There are a few notable exceptions, obviously, but I wasn't able to find a single historian in a relevant field that held a teaching position at any university I'd ever heard of in the country that supported the mythicist position. And until now, I, I've, been, I've been really sympathetic to the mythicist viewpoint on this show. You know, I've been unconvinced myself, but I've still largely treated it like it was an open question. And I got called out on that recently by a listener and I, and I named the listener, but I always fuck Chaitil's name up. So I'm just going to call him a listener. He urged me to do a deeper dive and at least acknowledge that the mythicist viewpoint isn't taken seriously in academia. And as near as I can tell, he's right. And what's more, the arguments he was offering me were ultimately the same arguments I generally use with creationists who are trying to deny evolution. Now, now I want to be clear. I'm not trying to equate the two. If you looked into this subject and you find the mythicist argument persuasive, I'm not going to tell you they're wrong. Like I said, I don't know. I'm just going with the consensus view of the experts here, and I've already admitted that that could be incorrect. But we should be damn careful, myself foremost, to make sure that we're keeping this theory in its proper context. After all, Christians are dying to goad us into a fight that they can win, and this is a fight they can win. The vast majority of the evidence is on their side. The vast majority of even atheist historians agree that Jesus is based on a historical figure. The people on the mythicist side are largely unknown outside of mythicist circles, this is a losing battle. Now, that's not to say it's not a valuable question to explore. It could be, but we need to do so with the acknowledgement that most people in the field think of this as a fringe theory, and we need to communicate that fact. Hell, I got an email from a listener a while back who was flabbergasted when he learned that the vast majority of historians agree that Jesus was a real dude because he learned that mid-debate with a theist. You know, that's pretty fucking awkward, and I'm sure that that's the byproduct of the fact that atheists are way more sympathetic to mythicism and far more likely to accept it than most lay people and most historians. But now that's not to say that the history isn't on our side here, right? Because because while virtually all the historians seem to agree that the Jesus story was based on a real guy, they also virtually all agree that the story itself is a myth, right? And the historical Jesus was a, a homeless, ranting, violent, angry communist whose family thought he was crazy. He was an apocalyptic preacher whose claims are completely disproven simply by the fact that we're talking about him 2,000 years later on an undestroyed earth. In other words, one of the best arguments that atheists have against the truth of Christianity is the historical Jesus, so I'm not going out of my way to give him up. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the Superman and Batman of atheism, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, what is the least interesting competition we could watch you engage in for two and a half hours that would have still been better than that stupid fucking movie? I'd rather watch myself try to do a pull-up for two and a half hours. I think mm. all of us would. That's actually Just pretty good. <laughs> so close, though. Are you supposed to jump? Are you supposed to jump? That counts. Flexed arm hang. I'm doing flexed arm hang. Two, three. 30 seconds. <laughs> I'd rather have watched Hillary and Joe Biden play competitive Minecraft. <laughs> like, how do I make a how do I make a sword? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> All right. And sorry to the audience, scam habits die hard. Anyway, in our lead story tonight, almost everybody in Bangladesh did not get hacked to death with a machete last week. Compliment sandwich. That's right. Job. Yeah, not hearing about that on the mainstream media, are you? Nobody's talking about the 156,599,997 Bangladeshis who didn't get brutally hacked to death by Islamic militants for thinking the wrong shit. Everybody wants to focus on them other three guys. I, on the other hand, have covered so many fucking stories of murderous, machete-wielding zealots in Bangladesh that I've run out of shit to say about that, so I almost have to take a different angle. Oh, I thought you were just reading from Salon.com, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, the chief of police over there, he's going to be bragging about his numbers year to year. Right. Two heathens got killed with a sword today. <laughs> That's how you earn a bonus. <laughs> That's right. why I get the big money. So the first of this week's victims was uh, one Zohaz Manan, a prominent gay rights activist and the editor of the nation's only LGBT magazine. The second was the guy unlucky enough to be with him when the six terrorists with machetes and guns forced their way into his apartment last Monday. Now, I want to just say for the record... Six guys with God on their side still needed machetes and guns to take out a 40-year-old nearsighted gay magazine editor. I mean, I'm just you're making your God look like a pussy, guys. I'm just throwing it out there. And also, it means there's a fucking waiting list to get onto a terrorist stabbing team. In uh, apparently, yes. And we're just fighting over playing time at this point. But, but I never stabbed a gay person before. <laughs> Neither did Mahir. <laughs> I'm sticking with six people for this one. And Mahir's not even yet to stab the guy. He's the driver. <laughs> and of course, less than a week later, a Hindu tailor was also hacked to death in the streets, presumably also by Islamic militants. Uh, Nikhil Jorder was uh, attacked outside his shop on Saturday afternoon, reportedly over a 2012 incident in which Jorder was arrested and released for allegedly making derogatory comments about Islam. And all of this, of course, took place only a few days after a university professor who was apparently a Muslim was hacked to death for not being Muslim enough. Yeah. And again, does anybody go up to the cops in Bangladesh and say, hey, thanks. Those three days were really nice. <laughs> no, they don't. Those machete-less days, yeah. Now, al-Qaeda offshoot Ansar al-Islam claimed responsibility for the first attack, and ISIS claimed responsibility for the latter. But at this point, it really doesn't matter which terrorist group carves the notch on its headboard. The point is that the government has sent the clear message that Muslims can kill whoever they want, so if anybody's leading in terror points, it's the national government. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like network marketing. Yeah, it's exactly. Like <laughs> this is a pyramid scheme of machete murder. Now, the good news, of course, though, is that now that they're killing religious people, something might be done about this. Right. At least we can be comfortable in the knowledge that American Muslims will condemn this with almost the same vitriol and focus as they would a shooting over a parking spot. Yeah. <laughs> or a cartoon, yeah. <laughs> okay, next up in Picks or It Didn't Happen news tonight. Some of you may have heard about the South African pastor, Motsa Knowing Borbo. I'm not going to pronounce his name. <laughs> no, I think you got it right. I think you but got it right. But I did it consciously. Who claims to have ascended to heaven on Easter Sunday and taken pictures on his Galaxy S5, which is mm. obviously ridiculous because nobody with a Galaxy phone could get into heaven. <laughs> well, no, I mean, you can, but you have to scan the code on the phone when you get to the gate and your phone always blacks out right before you get there and then it's on the lock screen. Everybody's getting pissed off behind. It's a big pain in the ass, but you can get in. But, but if you sign up for Verizon, if you get one of their 30-year mortgage um, you can get the newest model for only $8,000. It's true. And they'll spread it out in payments for you. Yeah, they'll call it free, too. 
Anyway, Mboro, who looks like Don Cheadle's homeless dad, attempted to sell the privilege of viewing the pictures for about $340. However, it turns out that in South Africa, while describing Big Rock Candy Mountain is fine, trying to sell photos of it is illegal. So Mboro promised to post the pictures for free on his Facebook instead. I see. Great. So pictures of heaven are like prostitutes there. It's a good law. <laughs> right. Good law. Yeah, exactly. Why sense. isn't that on a pillow? <laughs> <laughs> However, our story takes a turn for the tragic when he reported this week that someone stole the phone with the pictures on it from his car oh, while it was being no washed way. every time. It's true. It's true. Current suspects include the Canadian supermodel I lost my virginity to at camp last summer <laughs> and Donald Trump's Muslim friends. Yeah. <laughs> Also might have been a Yeti having a female orgasm. Is possible? <laughs> oh, shit. Now, I just want to say, I would kill my own mother to see the first couple like MS pain attempts he made before he came up with a stolen phone story. He's like taking like stills of Krypton from 1978. Is that yeah, the that's, Care Bears cloud? I see a Care Bear. Just, I'm thinking cloudier. <laughs> but the best part of the story for me is how hard he and his staff are doubling down on this. His bodyguard told the press, quote, the pictures were really there. I saw them. We suspect one of the boys washing the prophet's car took the phone, but they all denied taking it even after we threatened them. End quote. <laughs> he further went on to say, pinky swear. <laughs> but all is not lost. I'd like to admit that we actually stole the phone and would now like to describe the photos of heaven that are 100% real for your listening enjoyment. <laughs> of course okay, so we did. Yeah. This first picture here seems to be an empty DMV. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, this one is the pastor holding his own bloody tooth with pliers. <laughs> it's out in front of the Bellagio. I don't know. Yeah. And this third one here seems to be uh, the person that I'm publicly debating accidentally suggesting that black place performances shouldn't be summarily dismissed as racist <laughs> without considering their individual merits. <laughs> So, yeah, they are pictures of heaven. Who knew? Oh. <laughs> and in wishing welfare news tonight, over the last 15 years, the U.S. government's congressional prayer budget has added up to about $10 million. Uh, actually, hold on. Let me start from the beginning. We have a congressional <laughs> prayer yeah, budget. Right. It's a yeah. fucking thing we'll we have. bury the lead here. Despite being an industrialized nation in the 21st century full of grown-up adults, we have tax revenue set aside for hiring professional wishing experts to start off the day for the House and Senate with a really good wish. <laughs> Pay for yeah, this. Reading this story was like finding out that the country's been spending about a million dollars a year on dream catchers. You're right. Please tell me some more about how we just can't afford to fix our roads. Well, I mean, look, okay, so there's three ways you can look at this because like $10 million over 15 years is 0.00014% of the federal budget. So if we're saying we value Jesus magic 0.00014% as much as real shit, it sounds good. It's still an overestimate, it? but it sounds good. But of course, if you call it 1,700 poor kids a year that aren't getting lunches, it sounds kind of mm. bad. Now, of course, the third way is to point out that that sums to about $666,666 a year. So clearly <laughs> chaplains are Satan. Get them, Christians. <laughs> well, the Freedom From Religion Foundation thought this might be um, infinitely too much money for us to be spending on the placebo effect. Yes, Spoil sports. <laughs> <laughs> so they had staff attorney Andrew Seidel look into the numbers. And it turns out that, yes, we're overpaying by approximately infinity percent for our prayers. <laughs> the math checks out, guys. Yeah, it, 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 it does. Yeah. So uh, here's how we got there. 
the House and Senate chaplains each make about $175,000 a year. Jesus. And that doesn't even include their support staff of elves or whatever the fuck that would mean. <laughs> right. But using just the House chaplain from 2011 as an example, we got 104 prayers that year from this person, averaging about 90 seconds each, which means we paid him approximately $67,000 an hour oh, geez. for prayers. <laughs> wow. Of course, you still have to factor in some extra time the chaplains spend outside of the prayer itself, like writing it or whatever, mm. in which case it comes out to um, still infinity percent too much. I, I thought it would have been it at does. least double that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, next time your uncle posts that you flip burgers and want $15 an hour meme on Facebook. Remind him we pay a guy $175,000 to talk to his invisible friend. That's yeah. more than Big Bird got to talk to Snuffleupagus, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> also question, did we get a refund when 9-11 happened? Yeah, right. <laughs> Give us a 67 grand back, man. That, did, that didn't work, that one. That day was not good. <laughs> and, uh, by the way, if you're wondering how we arrived at a salary of... $175,000 a year for chaplains. Um, apparently, it's all about matching their compensation with equally important government employees from other departments. Like three teachers. Um, for, for example, the, the general counsel for the army and the CFO for NASA make the same amount of money. <laughs> oh, you're fucking That's a, kidding a me. a real thing I just said. So it's not an exact science, but but there's no denying that we continue reaping the rewards of a substantial Christian prayer gap over our enemies, <laughs> and it's very hard to put a dollar value on that. Yeah, it's true. But, it but it's something like running the entire space program. <laughs> it's, it's ballpark that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you have to wonder, what happens when those guys sit down to lunch? Like, Heath, humor me here for a second. You be space guy, I'll be the chaplain. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. How's work going? Um, Honestly, rough. Been been trying to figure out the budget for going into fucking space along with massive budget cuts at the same time, because my job is... Just to emphasize this again, figuring out how much it'll cost to launch human beings into the heavens on a flying bomb without killing them <laughs> for the furtherment of human knowledge, exploration, and all of mankind. So yeah, it's a whole thing. It's, it's been kind of rough. Yeah. Honestly. Psh, tell me about it. Today, I was like, please help us all be good at laws. So like, I get it. I get it. You going to finish your pudding? <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> And in option C, none of the above news tonight, taking the advice of presidential failure, recent Maury star and avatar of the god of crotchich, Ted Cruz, the city of Oxford, Alabama, unanimously passed an ordinance despite the fact that none of them could spell either of those words with a gun to their head in response to Target's new gender-inclusive bathroom policy, banning anyone from using a bathroom that doesn't match the gender, leaving reasonable people everywhere to wonder, what's the most convenient way to carry around your birth certificate when you want to drop a deuce in a Wendy's bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, by the way, it's best to have a full frontal sonogram with you, that too. Helps. That's important yeah, because yeah. people are forging the birth certificates at this point because they want to get into the Wendy's shit the place they want. So <laughs> lots of places want two forms of gender identification I, at this I point. See. Well, this like is, and this is so fucked up because, look, I've been there and I promise you – I need to take a shit and I don't think I'm going to make it to the old East Aboga exit is the only reason anyone has ever stopped in <laughs> Oxford, Alabama. You guys are restricting your primary tourist draw. It's true. It would be like Chicago banning hate crimes. Right? 
Council President Stephen Waits said the council sought the law, which carries a fine of $500 and up to six months in prison, quote, wow. not out of concern for the 0.3% of the population who identify as transgender, but to protect our women and children, oh, end quote. Fuck which this guy. is ironic because a cursory Google search demonstrates that he looks like Kevin from The Office glued pubes to his face in a goatee <laughs> in the hopes they wouldn't remember him at the Chuck E. Cheese parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I just really like the pizza. Can I, can I get can I get takeout if somebody else picks it up for me? I'll be in the next oh parking lot. This, it's like 500 feet away. This guy's fucking face fills out his head in the exact same proportions as brain from Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> he looks like Nintendo Wii Fit is trying to make fun of me. When I get it. It's like Simon Pegg fucked Nick Frost. <laughs> I'm sure he did. That's so what I look like. It should be pointed out that while this particular bathroom bill isn't the first of its kind, he said, realizing he lived in one of the bad universes from a comic book. However, <laughs> the severity of the punishment is. So after two weeks in a row of this shit, we realize that times like these call for a catchy theme tune. So with that in mind, we wrote this little ditty. Whenever there's injustice... Across this mighty land It's up to folks like you and me To stop and take a stand If you're straining for freedom Let's try something new We already tried option one Now we gotta go number two Go take a public shit in Oxford, Alabama Just go
And a huge thanks to Anna Phyllis Smith and Morgan Clark for lending us their musical expertise this week. And by the way, if you'd like to purchase your very own copy of uh, Go Take a Public Shit in Oxford, Alabama, you'll find it on CD Baby and linked on the show notes. It's only $1.25 and all the proceeds will go directly to Heartland Trans Wellness Group. It's a Midwestern organization that provides support and services to the transgender community. So while you come to grips with the fact that you're going to be singing to yourself about public defecation for the rest of the day, we'll take a quick break to do our public duty and hand things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. Public shit. Covered the streets in <laughs> A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate rape. It makes you a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. Wow. I gotta follow that up? I feel like I should sing this week in misogyny now or something. But I'm not gonna, and you don't want me to. Instead, we're going to talk about all the great advice men folk have for us. And my guess is that most of you saw my first example of that over the weekend when Kirk Cameron made social media waves by offering up a little thick nugget to all the wives out there. But the craziest thing about this slice of misogyny is that it came immediately after the last three sane neurons in his head banded together to tell him not to say it. So the first half of the quote is some advice for the husbands. They are to, quote, love their wives and not to tell their wives that they need to submit to them, end quote. But then he goes on to disregard his own advice at a pace that would embarrass the memento guy and adds, quote, wives are to honor and respect and follow their husband's lead, end quote. And just in case the advice didn't sound dangerous yet, he added that this counts no matter how the wife is being treated. But I don't want to leave anyone with the impression that you need testicles to offer up terrible, dangerous, sexist, God-infused advice. And for an example of that, I'll tell you the tale of Tawan McCarty. She was invited to the Redstone Arsenal Army Base in Alabama as part of a presentation on sexual harassment and responses to sexual abuse. Now, the plan was for her to talk about her experience as a sex trafficking victim, or at least that was the plan of the people who invited her there to give the talk. Her plan, apparently, was to use the opportunity to illegally promote her religion. According to a civilian employee that attended the event, McCarty explained that, quote, the only way to truly overcome the horrors of rape and sex trafficking is to have Jesus as your king, end quote. In other words, if you're still suffering from PTSD or anything, you have your evil pagan atheist gods to thank for that. But I don't want to spend all this time on bad advice without offering up anything in the way of good advice. So let me give a few words of wisdom to all the ladies listening. Get slash stay the fuck out of Oklahoma. Because apparently in Oklahoma, men can legally rape your head. So for those of you who don't already know what I'm talking about, in a unanimous decision last week, an appeals court in Oklahoma ruled that state law doesn't forbid forced oral sex with a victim who is completely unconscious. It stems from a case where a 16-year-old girl got a ride home from a 17-year-old boy. She passed out along the way and woke up later in a hospital with the staff conducting a sexual assault examination. These tests would later reveal traces of the boy's semen on the back of her leg and around her mouth, and this, of course, led Tulsa County prosecutors to charge the boy with forcible oral sodomy. And as if that wasn't already fucked up enough for us, here's where we get to the really crazy part. The trial judge dismissed the case, one can only imagine from inside an evil lair, because, quote, we will not, in order to justify prosecution of a person for an offense, Enlarge a statute beyond the fair meaning of its language. End quote. 
So for those of you confused by the legalese here, what he means is, I'm sure the lawmakers would have mentioned all the orifices individually if they'd considered dick in the mouth rape. And the worst part of this story is that the appeals court agreed. Because according to the fucktards codifying the rape culture in Oklahoma, he's technically right. As of 2016, there are laws in their state protecting unconscious victims of vaginal rape. But that's it. So while I go in the other room and make voodoo dolls of the entire state legislature out of cat shit and butter, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in more is less news tonight, we're going to give you yet another solid reason to shit on the state of Alabama or... Or maybe a liquidy reason or a nuggety reason, whatever you got cooking. Because it's like a soft shale formation. (laughs) Because, of course, Roy Moore decided to speak on the record again. And if you're not already pre-pissed off, it's only because you haven't been listening long enough. So just in case, quick reminder, Roy Moore is the Supreme Court justice for the state of Alabama who has run out of office for ethics violations once for refusing to abide by a federal court order to remove a Ten Commandments monument. And then he was reelected to the position as now facing accusations of yet more ethics violations. Surprise. This time for directing Alabama judges to ignore the SCOTUS ruling on gay marriage. And for those of you who can recall the name and not the face, think Pat Robertson dipped half his face into Raja Ghoul's Lazarus pits. <laughs> it looks like you should be coaching a team against the Mighty Ducks. Doesn't he? (laughs) Also, uh, this is off topic, but I just want to point out that Eli usually writes notes phonetically in all caps with no punctuation or spaces like a papyrus scroll. But but Raz Al Ghul is perfect with the apostrophe and everything. I I, I want to point out that's because I fixed his spelling. (laughs) And when I I did it, I thought to myself, I should never have to correct the fucking spelling of Raz Al Ghul from Eli. That's I believe I spelled it R A S A G O O L exclamation point <laughs> picture of a kid picture Gabagool. of an owl yeah, exactly. is that right no. <laughs> well all right but uh, sorry getting back to Roy Moore um who looks like Harvey Cattell got fucked by a Confederate flag go ahead yeah yeah so lucky <laughs> luckily for us and, and by us of course I mean straight people who don't live in Alabama and earn their living making fun of religious bigots that really deserve it, Moore decided to defend himself against the allegations that he did what he proudly admits that he did. So let me give you the play-by-play. He opened up with the gayness is probably a mental disorder gambit. Always good to hear from a man whose imaginary friend tells him to break laws. (laughs) And who listens, yeah. Uh, But uh, So here's the quote. In reference to a gay wedding, he said, when I started in 2013... If that would have happened then, this person, he's he's referring to the gay, would have been said to have a mental disorder, end quote. So, 40 years off the mark there, jackass. Homosexuality was removed from the DSM in 1973, and it was long overdue then. Noah, I think you aren't being fair there. He said that it would have been said to have been a mental disorder, probably Uh, by Roy Moore. (laughs) I I think he was trying to communicate he's been a funereal shark for years. Oh, I see. (laughs) Right. <laughs> That's like the worst thing. <laughs> also, um, what the fuck does the clinical definition even matter to his argument? In 2013, were they banning everyone with a mental disorder from getting married? Right. What the fuck does that even mean? But of course, more wasn't done. After referring to a lesbian as a transvestite as though those were interchangeable terms, he went on to blame his current legal troubles on the Southern Poverty Law Center as well as, quote, 
atheists, homosexuals, and transgender individuals, end quote. So for the record, the problem isn't that he mistook the Alabama judiciary for his very own autocratic fiefdom. It's those damn gay trans atheists at the SPLC (laughs) that bitched about it. It's these regressive left crusaders who can't even properly estimate how much worse it is for gay people in Saudi Arabia, expressed as a value on the pH scale with America as a seven. Can't even do it. Doesn't understand log skis. These people are just making it worse. Get a math degree. God. This is the rich white guy version of those episodes of Cops where they got some shirtless guy in a trucker hat whose dick is still very clearly stuck in his motorcycle being like, the, the owners here, they they told me I could borrow some truck, but then, then the cops roll in. They didn't even ask me, Obama. And finally tonight, we have a story about gay pedophiles, cannibalism, and Nazis that does not involve the Catholic Church. So, good job, Catholic Church, I guess. Compliment um, sandwich. We started and <laughs> yeah, ended. wasn't yeah. them this time. Instead, this one comes from Protestant hate pastor and guy who looks like Kevin Swanson with scurvy, Kevin Swanson, <laughs> who made news recently when he warned American parents to remove their children from public schools because of all the gay sex instruction. I, I, what? During which he incorporated... Gay pedophiles, cannibalism, and Nazis. Somehow. And and really, a Halloween party is the only time it's appropriate to incorporate pedophiles, cannibals, and Nazis. (laughs) Or like an awesome movie. (laughs) Like a campus party at Yale, that kind of thing. So uh, this rant came during a recent episode of Swanson's radio show. And he made – he did. He made lots of salient points against – but sex ed in public schools. So <laughs> apologize if I'm oversimplifying his argument a little bit, but here's a few highlights from George Jetson with cholera. Quote, <laughs> please do not send your children to the Nambla pedophilia what? preschool or the transgender kindergarten. What? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to pause right there and uh, <laughs> get this clock ready with 30 seconds on it. Uh, any thoughts so far? Nambla Preschool, um, pro, anti? Best behaved group of preschoolers ever. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple more key moments continuing with his uh, rant here. And um, in addition to gay pedophile schools, by the way, Swanson also touched on bathroom laws and, of course, gay cannibals. It's about um, damn time somebody said it. <laughs> right. So, for example, he hate spoke the following. Quote, <laughs> Woe to the man that transgenders the restrooms in the public schools. Uh, yep, as a verb. And apparently he considers himself to be cisgendering a room when he shits in it. Anyway, continuing. And this is my favorite part. He closes it out. I know homosexuals love each other. And cannibals love their victims. They taste good. And the Nazis love their children. But that's not love. That's not love, end quote. (laughs) Following the great tradition of reasonable, sensitive public figures who start their sentences with woe to the man that what (laughs) Right. I'm sure Mr. Swanson would tell you this is all based on his sincerely held Christian belief that gay people are gross Uh and pedophile cannibal Nazis, apparently. But I've got to wonder if this has anything to do with his gambling problems, because as I understand it, if one of his five children ends up having a same-sex marriage, Swanson has to sit in a pile of shit and smear it on his face while the guests arrive. Yes, That's yes. a bet. That's on <laughs> It's true. So, yeah, this feels kind of like a P. 
Pete Rose situation. Like he's definitely <laughs> trying to win the bet, but still questionable, you know? Well, now it's my life goal to seduce one of Kevin Swanson's children. I mean, Thanksgivings will be rough, but I'll take one for the team. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so uh we've already got those 30 seconds on the clock, I believe. So we're looking for gay pedophile cannibal cinema for movie day at the gay pedophile cannibal <laughs> elementary schools go of course we are um how about f- fear and moaning in anthropo vegas <laughs> like nine people who are word geeks love that shit <laughs> what about uh little man taint tossing the soylent green salad Ooh, i like it uh, um, milk dud there's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't eat dave's balls <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not quite uh, cannibalistic at that point, but it's still good. It's yeah. still good. Uh, how about growing up Donner? <laughs> what about kindergarten cock? Eat a dick, spray love. Ooh, I like I, a Dahmer the Explorer. Oh, there you yeah. go. There you go. It's at least as close to rhyming as Dora is. Um, how about Sweeney Toddler, the semen gargler of Sesame Street? Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I want to write those songs now. What about uh, Quiet Time of the Lambs? <laughs> If I were five, I'd eat me. <laughs> Two man scent of meat. <laughs> Two man scent of meat. Yeah, no. The pronunciation, it really comes out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now that we've got your atheist tummy sufficiently rumbling, we can close out the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks at varying levels of always. Magic the Gathering. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll learn that either Islam is the religion of peace or Surah 9 exists. Eli plays that game too. It's one or the other, guys. Can't be both. It got hard when there were white cards, so I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Check your print. And now, things you could buy with the money that Congress spends on chaplains. Start you off with this one. I shit you not, you could subscribe to Brazzers 6,666 times. Uh, One... 118,518 copies of Loving the Bad Man on DVD. That's one copy for every resident of Berkeley, California. 77,745 pounds of cereal marshmallows. That's about 39 tons. 13,344 Adams Colossal 12-inch dildos. That's a dildo for every player in the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and everyone from every country who ever competed in the last three Olympics with some dildos left over for uh, the guys in Oregon. A pet ladybug for every single human being in Japan. Oh, also food stamps, Medicaid, healthcare, homes, jobs, and roads. Fuck. Oh, I want a pet ladybug. Don't worry. There'd be like 10 million left over. I want one. (laughs) If you've been listening to this show long enough, you'll know that we started in New York and only migrated to Georgia when I lost my job and we decided to try to make this into a full-time gig. And because of the generosity of our listeners and Heath's boundless altruism, we convince a lifelong New Yorker to move to the shark stain below the Bible belt in the unlikely hopes that making jokes about glory hole in Christ's stigmata would pay the bills. 
Well, after two and a half years' penance in the reddest of states, the time has come for us to make like a coconut and migrate north once more. Because of Heathstad's health, our strengthening partnership with Eli, and the fact that Georgia is a miserable shithole, we've elected to move our operation back to New York. Right. So, in an effort to make this move possible, we've decided to make the month of May our Matreon Pledge Drive month, and we're hoping to spruce up the deal with a few new Patreon goals. That being said... Now that there are four of us making the decisions, it's harder to find the right compromise. So we don't have many, but we do have a list here of several of the ideas that didn't quite make the cut. $2,500. Eli will kill and eat Kevin Sorbo. $1,200. A weekly hooker for the single members of the cast. (laughs) $4,500. We'll personally visit each and every one of our listeners and possibly blow some of them. $5,000. $5,000. Monthly atheist-inspired beheadings. First up, CJ... No, Worth- no, no. <laughs> Rename North Carolina, Old Carolina. $8,000. Film and distribute a video of a puzzle in a thunderstorm. Okay, for $2,000, I'll eat Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> Two grand. And while unfortunately none of these goals are on the horizon, we're not too far off from a brand new animated series of diatribes on YouTube, and of course the granddaddy goal of them all, a live scathing atheist tour to a town near you, or really far away from you because I don't actually know where you are. So, if you've always wanted to support the show, but you were just waiting for us to ask nicely, head over to patreon.com slash scathingatheist, where you can make a per-episode donation while earning early access to an extended version of every episode, bonus content, and more. And just to sweeten the pot, we did agree on one bonus. If we can reach our next Patreon goal during the month of May, we'll purchase and eat one entire bucket of Jim Baker's Rapture Kibble. Oh, no. And we'll document the entire event for you on YouTube. Because if we've learned anything from GAM, it's that our listeners like it when we suffer. So that's going to happen. Is is there any of it that's that's vegan? Yes. Yes, actually. I checked. (laughs) Damn it! (laughs) The one advantage! The one time it was going to be good! (laughs) So please help get Heath, Lucinda, and me the fuck out of Georgia at patreon.com slash scathingatheist. And now, back to the show. In the wake of our last edition of Coranomaniacs, I got a two-part tweet from Bongo Rider, desperate for more clarity. He tweeted, quote, Can you actually recap the event-slash-story of the Quran before you mock the stupid parts? It's hard to engage when I have no idea about the things you're mocking. Need some kind of outline or something first, end quote. Now, I completely understand where Bongo Rider is coming from, and I apologize if we haven't made this entirely clear. So let me reiterate, there is no story. There are no events. Uh, there is no outline. This book is just an endless screed of some dude free associating. This book doesn't bother with stuff like narrative and things happening and logical relationships between adjacent sentences. It is literally just some drunk guy that hates Jews saying whatever comes into his head from moment to moment. Yeah, Bongo, I feel your pain. So let me give it a try. Imagine Donald Trump trying to read the Old Testament during a heroin nod <laughs> while adding his own commentary. We're, we're not... St- Skipping the good parts on you. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. You ever see a drunk racist person ranting at a bar and just decide to start agreeing with them to see what you can get them to say, see how far it's going to go? Well, they made a book about that. It's this book. This is the book. Yeah, of the course. Wall. 
<laughs> when I think about Holy, I think about my lovely wife, Lucinda. So she'll be rejoining us for a trio of surahs this evening. Lucinda, welcome back. You be careful how you introduce a person whose teeth are allowed on your dick. I'm just saying. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I guess after reading this violent shit, I should expect it. All right. So as I've already indicated, we're going to knock out three more surahs this week, numbers 9 through 11. But something tells me we're going to spend a little more time on 9 than 10 and 11 because this has got to be the surah that Quranic apologists most wish did not exist. And we're not going to wait for the crazy on this one. We learn right away that you need to proclaim a grievous punishment to anybody who doesn't believe in the Quran, unless you already promise not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole beginning felt like the owner of a team trying to explain how they're going to fuck over the old season ticket holders at the new stadium they're making, except it's it's murder them. Yeah, right. And not right. The season right. Basically says, we're going to tear down all the non-Muslim stuff and build new everything. Also, we're going to torture and kill all the non-Muslim people. But if any heathens have season tickets, we will honor those and not murder them mm-hmm. until the end of the season, mm-hmm. at which point those seats go up for sale as a personal seat license or PSL, and then we kill them. <laughs> that's the start of chapter nine. Well, and that's just the fucking warm-up, because after that, we get the infamous sword verse, verse five, the bane of those religious of uh, religion of peace apologists, quote, When the sacred months are over, slay the idolaters wherever you find them, arrest them, besiege them, and lie in ambush everywhere for them. If they repent and take to prayer and render the alms levy, allow them to go their way. And as if it's not obvious from the preceding sentences, it closes with, God is forgiving and merciful, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, and just to be clear, they're suggesting that you ambush all the non-Muslims and try to Kill them with a sword. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but if they repent, pray to Allah and also f- fill out some tax paperwork right before you <laughs> stab them, you should not stab them. Right. Yes, exactly. Which is way too late. Point being, you shouldn't have stabbed them. You shouldn't have stabbed them. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Oops. Also, I love the apologetic for this verse because this one doesn't even work with like the usual jingly keys. So I, I looked up the apologies for this and mm-hmm. what I found was basically, well, you have to understand that they'd been attacked by these polytheists before. So he's really talking about like those people and he did. So squaresies. <laughs> <laughs> And it seems almost petty to bring this up after 15 verses of murder everyone who disagrees with you. But we're reminded in verse 16 that you should never, ever be friends with non-Muslims. Right. I mean, that seems like it goes without saying since you're murdering them and they probably wouldn't accept your free request anyway. (laughs) But they felt the need to remind us again. Yeah. And and, and, and look – I don't want to play at any level of objectivity here, but it seems really hard to believe that anybody could read this thing objectively to this point, the the whole book, and not think that the main thrust of its message is kill everybody who doesn't believe that this book came from God. In an honest world, that's the one-sentence summary on Amazon. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and click, this review was not helpful on anything that mentions religion of peace. (laughs) Right. Would not recommend this offer. (laughs) Also, don't forget the order to disassociate and murder idolaters doesn't get waived just because that idolater happens to be your father or your brother. You need to go ahead and kill them, too, it says so in verse 23, which kind of negates the whole, oh, no, these people were attacking them. Really? Their dads? (laughs) Yeah. Remember when we were choosing up sides for for the the murder war, like just a moment ago? 
If your family isn't Muslim, they're on the other team. Yeah. Just to be clear. In the context <laughs> of murder war, if the context wasn't clear. And, and it should be pointed out that this is one of the many verses that Islamists use to justify honor killings. Like, right. And now, having read it in context, I can say, yeah, man, that's what it says. Like, that's those what guys, it fucking <laughs> says. Yep. Yes. Reading the book, Dumbledore dies. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> also, we non-believers are impure, and Allah doesn't want us near his shit. I mean, mm. broken clock twice a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And up until now, we've really been focused on idolaters and polytheists. I mean, it's made some broad people that don't believe in this book references, but mostly it's been centering on pagans. Mm-hmm. So in verse 29, Muhammad reminds us that this murder them for not agreeing with me rule also counts for Jews and Christians. Right. Unless they bribe you regularly. Hey, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. In case they weren't being clear, they literally want you to walk up to non-Muslims with a sword and say, give me all the money in your wallet. And also be Muslim or I kill you right now. <laughs> but either way, wallet. Right. I get way, that one where it yeah. makes yeah. New York City mugging sound cheery. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's what it says in the next verse. Uh, almost quote, the Jews say that Ezra is the son of God. The Christians say it's Jesus. That's the type of shit that comes out of their stupid liar faces. <laughs> I really hope God murders them right now. And almost quote. I really like it's really almost exactly pretty, what I said. Pretty much. Yeah, Bongo yeah. Rider, trust us. We're not yeah, yeah. And I can we take a moment to recognize how crazy this is that this is still thought of as a holy book? This would be like someone killing Tom and Cecil in the name of New York pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Just sending us a pic on Twitter. You see? You see? <laughs> like, no, we did it. We plopped napkin shit my ass. And uh, while you're killing all the people, um, just a warning, lots of them are going to say stuff like, oh, don't kill me. And I prefer if you didn't murder me right now. And that's how you know they're evil. So <laughs> continue with the killing when that happens. That's totally normal. I understand why you asked, but don't worry. Just go. Like finding vampires by stabbing people with a stake in the heart. I also love in verse 58 where he goes all like, uh, and some of those assholes are probably going to say, I mishandled the money and we know they're full of shit, right? We should, we should probably murder them too. It's like a, like a homicidal Sarah Moorhead over there. Oh, Ouch. Ouch. Top Noah. Noah Ouch. said that one. <laughs> I did. Also, and this is a little thing, but it, it made me smile. It says in verse 63, do they not know that whoever opposes God and his messenger shall abide forever in the fire of hell? That is the supreme humiliation. And I'm thinking to myself, humiliation? Are you sure that's the word you're looking for? (laughs) Oh, my God. This eternally skin-melting fire is so embarrassing. I can't stand it. One never looks their best when they're being torn apart by dick wolves. (laughs) No makeup selfie. Don't do that. Right. Does this ass torture make me look fat? (laughs) Like when I bend over, do I look fat while I'm being... Oh, shit. And then we go into this long tirade about all the misery and suffering, the way all the non-Muslims, and Muhammad is getting so aroused that you're just sure he had to tell the scribe to leave out the masturbation on him on a PA, you know, he's like, like <laughs> hey, hey, don't put... In there. On a Where's my nine-year-old wife? That's what I yell when I'm... Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh. But it's okay, because in the end, he reminds you, it's not that God is condemning these people to hell. They're condemning themselves. Right. God just made hell, made the rules, ensured most people wouldn't know them, and made them confusing. So you have nobody to blame for damnation but yourself. Obviously. Yeah. It's your fault. The reason it's your own fault 
is because we're always making laws against murder and that fucks up Muslims who are working on chapter nine. (laughs) And by the way, the penalty for making jihad illegal is jihad. You get jihaded to hell, which was clearly posted. So yeah, we asked for it. it. And since this is the 97th time in this book, Mo has told us this, I just want to point out what a shitty excuse this is. Muslim God is the teacher who says nobody gets to play Red Rover because kid with undiagnosed ADD shat in his hand and threw it at her. It's like, come on! (laughs) Tell his parents to give him a pill. Thumbs down, hands up. I was also proud to see Muhammad ranging out in this one. It turns out he can also be perfectly bigoted towards the desert Arabs. His, his words, not mine. Uh, so, like, it turns out they're a bunch of cowards and hypocrites, those desert Arabs. Ooh, ooh, can we make Pamela Geller's head explode and tell her she's quoting the Koran? Please, please. <laughs> Be like when one of those computers gets a logic puzzle. Yeah, right. We're also warned off of cheap knockoff mosques. Yeah. Look for the union label, I guess. I right. don't know and do make sure you look for the true mosque label. <laughs> two, two union nerds at home just went crazy. Two, people, two seamstresses at home right now, like tambourines. They're going nuts. Everybody who lived in Detroit. <laughs> and by the way, this might be the first time they ever mention Jews and Christians being able to go to heaven. But it's only the homicidal maniac right, ones, yeah. the ones that killed in God's name in the Bible. So I think this verse was actually like a, a nod of professional respect to genocide guys in general, like <laughs> the pioneers who paved the way for – well, I mean, awesome. there's even like Bond villain level shit about how the true Muslims shouldn't ask for forgiveness for their relatives if those relatives aren't Muslim. Mm-hmm. So like hoping your mother won't burn eternally in hell just for disagreeing about sky fairies makes you a bad Muslim. Right. So for those keeping score, Muhammad and the fictional communists from If Footman Tire You, <laughs> same basic page. More or less, <laughs> yes. And again, just in case you missed the entire chapter, we're reminded in verse 123 to go out and fight non-believers wherever you find them. Like the Sir's homework assignment or something. <laughs> yeah. Everyone bring in five infidel teeth. And we're going to see how they dissolve and cope. Well, and then that one wraps up. Now, now, I have to admit that the next two are kind of disappointing after all the murdery oh, yeah. shit, but we're going to do them anyway, starting with the book of Jonah. Yeah, and apparently this chapter is there for people who make it through the first nine surahs and say, okay, but how do we know this Muhammad guy isn't a sorcerer? Yeah, mm-hmm. my version basically has it as, look, this book is so great. Everyone's going to be like, stop putting shit on our bodies, David Blaine. Don't believe them. I, I mean, he is just super awesome. Yeah. Now shit on the ground. Jack of diamonds. What? Also, Muhammad takes a strong anti-editing stance here. My version says basically like, look, people, they're going to say, hey, do you have like a less murdery version of the Quran? And you're supposed to be like, sorry, man, hands are tied. I feel like this has a lot more to do with people suggesting, hey, Mo, you want to go back and fix that? And he was just like, no, it's good. You want to die that? New scroll. scroll. (laughs) My wife's nine. Just for, just for a reminder. You didn't mention that. My wife is nine. Jeez. And then we get some more. This book is way too good to have been written by anybody but God stuff. Mm-hmm. It literally says in my translation, quote, there is no doubt about it. It is from the Lord of the universe. End quote. <laughs> this book is great, right? That's because God wrote it. I'm Muhammad and I'm not writing this. <laughs> the book I'm reading. Right. <laughs> 
And I just want to take a moment to appreciate a book that felt the need to say multiple times, if you think you can write a book as good as me, I dare you. Well, especially in a book that one can summarize and then still leave Bongo Rider thinking that we forgot to tell him what the fuck was going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> he also might be feeding ideas to the young Earth creationists, too, here, because in verse 96, he points out that no amount of evidence will convince an infidel. And that's why God won't give them any evidence at all. Right. Waste of effort. Yeah. yeah. Ah, the why is my girlfriend mad at me apologetic. <laughs> <laughs> you said fine. Mo, you said you were fine. <laughs> and I guess now that we're uh, 98 verses into 109 verse, we can bring up the dude that they named the book after. So this is where we get the Jonah cameo. And enjoy it while you can because it's only one word long. Apparently they couldn't get it uh, on, on the contract for two words. And isn't that really an admission that this chapter isn't saying anything? Right. <laughs> I mean, the guys who put the fucking book together are like, uh, what should we call this chapter? Uh, did we already use stream of consciousness from a self-aggrandizing bigot? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. fucking Jews. Nope, use that one. <laughs> uh, Moe's enemy list. <laughs> nope, sure had uh, that one, too. Dirty Jews? Uh-huh. Well, he mentioned Jonah in passing towards the end, didn't he? Oh, oh this you did do that one. Jonah, Jonah. Good, good call. Good call, Steve. <laughs> and uh, then we get what I'm pretty sure was an accidental koan for Muslim people, I think. It, it says, had your Lord willed, everyone on earth would believe. Right. Will you compel people to become believers? <laughs> so, uh, it sounds like maybe he's bringing up a, a fundamental contradiction in the entire concept of converting non-believers and all of religion and like mm-hmm. an interesting conversation. Yeah. But no, then I remembered that when two sentences go next to each other in this book, there's no reason to believe they were connected thoughts. <laughs> so right. I think you just start yelling at the scribe again. Yeah, probably. And, and I'm not sure how uh, convincing this is supposed to be. Well, here's a little more advice on how to drum up support here. When non-Muslims ask about your religion, according to verse 104 of Surah 10, you should say, I don't worship the same God you worship. I worship the one that's going to kill you. Mm, <laughs> Worse every time. Yeah. How to reply to infidels and how to talk smack before a kumite. Two birds, one stone. <laughs> kumite, kumite. <laughs> and again, we're not reading into anything. It says, my God will terminate your lives. Yes. Exact words. My God is a neural net processor. <laughs> burning computer. Terminate you. And I guess nothing was done happening because then the surah ends. And while we plan to knock out three surahs this week, uh, surprise, surprise, we spent a little more time than we expected on number nine, so we're running crazy long. I mean, surah 11 is going to have to wait until our next Quranomaniacs in three weeks, so between now and then, go murder everybody that disagrees with you. Because apparently I'm allowed to say that and still call myself peaceful. Uh-huh. Murdering people who disagree with you, void in Alaska, Hawaii, and where prohibited. Side effects may include guilt, remorse, depression, prosecution, prison rape, and severe chafing. The scathing atheist doesn't actually endorse murdering people that disagree with you. That bit was a satirical joke. The Quran does not have a disclaimer like this. Before we get to the fine print tonight, I wanted to let everybody know where to go to get a little more Eli in their lives. James Lindsay, author of Everyone's Wrong About God, got together with Eli on Atheistically Speaking last week to talk safe spaces and trigger warnings in a behemoth interview that Thomas is releasing in three parts this week and next, I believe. Anyway, if you like Eli when he gets serious, and keep in mind, he's still funny then. He's just funny and serious. I'd urge you to check it out. The first two parts, I believe, are up now. Both should be linked in the show notes for this episode. Pretty contentious conversation, and Eli asked me to be really nice to his esteemed opponent, so I'm not going to mention anything about kicking asses or taking names or anything like that, but I will hint at those things. 
things. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting Monday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, and a brand new episode of our sister show's cute friend, God Awful Movies, debuting 24 hours after that. You can also get bonus chunks of scathism by following us on Twitter and or liking us on Facebook. Obviously, this would be a sad excuse for an outro if I didn't thank the lovely and talented Heath Enright for never complaining when his loveliness gets overlooked and also for being funny and doing work. I need to thank the also lovely and also talented Lucinda Lusions for finding a poignant way to make a face-fucking joke. I also want to thank the excellent personality and talented Eli Bosnick for a face-fucking related thing that we've agreed to never talk about in public. I also want to thank Twitter's very own at bbraggart3 for providing our first ever puppet Farnsworth quote. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's most admirable animals, Thomas, Grant, Nick without a K, Dan, Ian, Willard, Bill, Nick with a K, Paul, other Paul, Kelly, Derek, Melissa, Eric, Cody, Cassandra, Bo, Ant-Man, Derek, X, Kenneth, Marcy, Tammy, Alice, Reese, Jeff, War, Banjo, Teresa, Gruff, Anissa, and Stefan. Thomas, Grant, Nick without a K, Dan, Ian, Willard, Bill, Nick with a K, Paul, and other Paul, whose bananas fill up a regular-sized hammock, Kelly, Derek, Melissa, Eric, Cody, Cassandra, Bo, Ant-Man, Derek, X, and Kenneth, whose IQs are so high their ideas need parachutes, and Marcy, Tammy, Alice, Reese, Jeff, War, Banjo, Teresa, Gruff, Anissa, and Stefan, who are so bright they trigger photosynthesis. Together, these 30 dirty birdies heard we worried the clergy, so they gave us money. You too can give us money, but we already spent a couple of minutes telling you all about that, so I'm just going to add here that you want to go to patreon.com slash scathingatheist, or you want to click on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com if you so choose. And if you'd like to help, but you vowed to spend every dime avenging the death of your father, you can also help us a ton by leaving us a glowing review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the stalls of your local truck stop restrooms, or wherever else podcast reviews seem appropriate. You can also tell people about the show, but you know, try not to sound desperate. You know, obviously we want them to show up in the next episode, but you know, make it sound like we're going to be cool either way. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. All the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly, except for the really good stuff, and that was written and performed by Anna Phyllis Smith, who is fucking awesome. You know, I don't know what it is, Eli, but your side sounds so much less room noisy than usual. I don't know. Is it maybe it's because I it's facing the right direction and it's not <laughs> upside down? <laughs> that could be it. <laughs>